and welcome to the Debt Champion Podcast. My name's Sean, and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, and with us, uh, special guest Phoenix Suns beat writer Gina Mazel. Welcome, guys. Hello, hello. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> I love asking at the same time, so both the people uh, answer at the exact same time. It's lovely radio. <laughs> yeah. How are you, Gina? I'm good. I should say good morning to you guys, even though it's the evening time here in the States, but I'm, I'm doing well. It's, it's a obviously very strange times in the world, but mm. hanging in there every day is, is, you know, runs into the next, but I'm lucky to still be doing what I'm doing and healthy and family's good. So that's all I can ask for at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, do you mind just giving us a bit of a introduction to yourself and what do you do? Sure. So I am a sports writer based in Phoenix and um, I've covered the Suns for the past two seasons. Previously was working for The Athletic here in the States and um, unfortunately was part of their round of layoffs in early June. And so to continue covering the Suns, I recently launched my own newsletter, which is called Valley Tales, which is an obvious play on the Valley Boys mantra for the the Suns. And so I basically have kind of gone out on my own, starting my own website and newsletter. And right now, uh, all content is free. We'll move to a paid model here in a few weeks once the games get underway. But really excited to continue covering this very bizarre end to the NBA season and kind of just had this a desire within me, even after a pretty terrible thing happens when you lose your job. But I had this uh, just desire to finish out the year. So very excited that I get to continue doing that. What's it like on the Suns beat, Gina? It's great. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a good group of reporters. It's a good group, you know, PR staff, players, Monty Williams. Um, I really enjoy being around a lot of those people. And so I think that was part of the reason why I wanted to keep doing it too, because I genuinely enjoy the job and the people that I'm around. And obviously it's way different right now with that everyone is still social distancing and, and can't be in person and, and all of that. So I, I've missed being around my colleagues, but Overall, it's, it's a really good group of people, and I think we all feel very lucky that we get to do something that we really love for our jobs. So, yeah, no complaints on that end from me. Well, you just talk a little bit, little bit there about the locker room, but who are some of the characters in the locker room? Who are some of the best guys to, to speak with? Yeah, I I mean, Kelly Oubre obviously is is like another type of, I don't even want to say he's a human being, but he, he's an interesting <laughs> cat. Um, but I, I really like talking with him just because he's so interesting and has such a wide variety of interests, even beyond basketball. And it's just, you can talk to him about all kinds of stuff. Um, Aaron Baines from your neck of the woods, I really enjoy speaking to because he is just, you know, a, he's been through quite the journey to get to this point in his career um, is really good at talking through like basketball stuff and what they they're doing well, what didn't go well game wise. Um, and it's just a very, I think very just like steady voice in that locker room. Um, you know, Devin Booker and Deandre Ayton obviously are the two guys we probably talk to the most often because they're the two standouts on the team. But um, Booker is just very, uh, he's very mature. He's like, a pro's pro as far as he knows the deal he knows he's going to be asked to speak after every game and and is is used to that responsibility and understands it and then deandre ayton is kind of just a big kid honestly he's he, he acts like he's 21 sometimes and i don't mean that at all as a as a knock on him but he can be really super entertaining and um just very full of life and 
is, is just, it's, it's, it's been really fun to sort of chronicle his introduction to the NBA from being the number one pick up into this point. And so I've really enjoyed that. Um, and then Ricky Rubio too, again, he's a lot like Aaron and that he's just, he's such a vet. Um, he's clearly a leader in that locker room and has great perspective on throughout his NBA career. He's been on bad teams in Minnesota and then he's been on playoff teams in Utah and, and obviously has a vast um, variety of international experience and he's been a pro since he was a teenager. And so he just has a great perspective as well. So again, overall, I feel like I'm missing people or I should go down the whole list, but overall it's a good locker room to, to deal with and to talk to those guys every day. So again, it's not always the case in, in the NBA or in any sport, but this, this group is good. So I appreciate that. We're big Rick Rubio fans on the pod. So it's good to hear that he's, uh, it's good to hear that he's the steady, the steady voice in the locker room. Yeah, he's, he's a good dude. He's like legitimately a good human being. Like I remember when, because uh, he had a baby this past season and, and in the middle of the year. And so I remember talking to him when he rejoined the team after the birth of his son and just like hearing him talk about having a kid for the first time. And just like, it was, it was adorable actually. So it's, I, I enjoy when people can be more than a basketball player and can talk about things beyond the court. And yeah, he's, he's a really good guy. So did you... Did you grow up following the Suns, Gina? I did. I grew up in Phoenix. So I'm born and raised here. Um, my parents are born and raised here. So grew up uh, following all the teams in Arizona, but definitely the Suns on that list for sure. Um, the 1993 finals when they lost mm. to the Bulls, I was five years old. So that was when I was sort of coming into my own as a sports fan when you actually can remember and you know, really know what's going on. And then yeah. the Steve Nash era, I was in high school and college. So those are also very formative years. So I feel like the the two best eras of this franchise were sort of at really important times in my life. And so, yeah, definitely was following that very closely. And then um, as I progressed through my career and, and went into sports journalism, I left Phoenix, left Arizona for um, eight years, kind of all over the country covering different sports and then um, got the opportunity to come back home with when the athletic launched here. And so that's that was a really cool opportunity to be able to come back and, and cover the team that, you know, is is a reason that you love sports and a reason that you follow at the NBA. So, yeah, it's it's sort of been in my in my genes and in my DNA for my whole life. And so getting a chance to, to cover this team has been super rewarding from that perspective. Hmm. I'm so jealous. That would be so good just to be able to grow up with it and then have it as your, you know, like your main gig professionally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I started following the Suns like the end of the Steve Nash era. So I came on, came on like right at the end of that. And then obviously like, getting more into basketball I went back and you know learned about those Kevin Johnson and Charles Barkley teams mm -hmm. and all like all the cult figures um that were on that team like Dan Marley. yeah Charles Barkley was my like my first favorite athlete and I used to have this t-shirt yeah that, I mean think of like the 90s when everything was like the screen print and like you know big graphics and it was like his face just on the t-shirt and I wore it so many times that like his face it started cracking so I like basically wore out <laughs> t-shirt as like a little kid growing to games with my my dad and 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 just yeah loving that team and and when John Paxson hit that shot for the Bulls to to beat mm. the Suns like that was one of my first 
heartbreaks as a sports fan. So, which is important. You need to have those moments to learn the the highs and lows of being a fan. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, let's just move on from there and talk about uh, this current Phoenix Suns sort of era, is for want of a better word. And we're heading into the bubble, which is something none of us have ever experienced before. And when the Phoenix Suns and Washington Wizards were invited to the bubble, people were sort of asking questions saying, why are these guys here? Because yes, they still technically stand a chance at making the playoffs, but how much of a chance and how much is, is it worth the risk? And what are your thoughts on Phoenix Suns inclusion into the bubble? Yeah, I think those people that were critical of it have a very valid point. Um, I, I don't really see any way that the Suns challenge for that last playoff spot unless they go 8-0 and in these eight games or maybe 7-1, and depending on whatever what other teams do. But I, I still think they're in a position where they can use this situation. They can use these eight games, the practices that they've had leading up to these games to sort of continue to, to figure out what they have. I mean, this is a situation where uh, there's some, they, they feel like they have their core with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and even Monty Williams now as head coach, but how, how they build this team around those two guys, I think there's still a lot that needs to still be figured out. And so this is a team that wasn't healthy for a lot of the year. Um, DeAndre Ayton was obviously suspended for 25 games at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. and they never really had their full group together um, and they still won't with Kelly Oubre's injury but this is at least probably the most complete that this team will be in quite some time so to be able to to sort of see what they still have maybe experiment with some lineup changes playing style just you know figure out sort of what they have I think will the data for them to use as they continue into the offseason and try to sort of figure out what to do from there. Well, just going off that, in, in your eyes, what do they have here? Because um, one of the big question marks around this season, around this team all season long, has been DeAndre Ayton and whether he can live up to the hype of number one overall pick. And I know you recently wrote about him um, with Valley Tales. Could you just speak a little bit on what you think's going to happen with DeAndre Ayton? Is are we going to? I mean, I wrote this. I wrote this in our notes with Dante, just sort of to to make him happy. But are we going to look back on this bubble and say, "Man, remember that time DeAndre Ayton averaged like twenty five and fifteen for those eight games, and that was his ascent into superstardom?" Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think he he's the player that I'm most interested to see on this team how he performs in the bubble, just because he did have such a strange year long before coronavirus and the halting of the league. I mean, with the suspension and injuries and just never quite getting that steady rhythm that you would want to see from any player but he had those moments where he flashed just you know really good play on both ends of the floor and particularly his defensive improvement I think is something that it wasn't talked about maybe a ton as it was happening but I think as we've all had these months off and kind of have gone back and either looked at numbers or looked at film or whatever you sort of see okay he he was getting better and whether it's his numbers whether it was just watching him and the general awareness he had on the defensive end I think you could see that he was just a lot better as a rim protector and communication wise and just kind of knowing where he was supposed to be so I'm really fascinated to see how he does in these eight games because I think like you said if he comes out and and just, yeah, averages 25 and 15 or something like that, then I think that could create buzz mm. heading into next season about like, okay, this is this DeAndre Ayton's season to, you know, take a huge leap or something like that. So um, again, the, the thing with him being the number one overall pick and 
other players, a.k.a. Luka Doncic, who was also on the board for the Suns to potentially <laughs> take. That comparison is going to be there forever, I think. And, and But just because Luka is already looking like he could be a transcendent player in this league, that does not mean that DeAndre Ayton will not be an awesome player or a great player in this league. And so I think I, I'm just really interested to see how he continues to make strides and, and what that means both for the short term, but also heading into next year and, and beyond as well. He had a really interesting year because watching him in his rookie season, it was really, really clear that on defense, he just had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then the biggest, the, the big, single biggest improvement, even from the first game that he played, obviously he played one game and then got the 25 game suspension. Mm-hmm. But even in that game, I think he, I think he piled up four blocks or something crazy in that game. And just he, he clearly over the offseason had developed a greater sense of understanding and where he's supposed to be at what time. And so it was really encouraging. He's doubled his blocks from his rookie season to any sophomore season. So he's clearly much more of a defensive presence. But that, in my eyes at the same time, kind of coincided with this shift to on offense. He's, he's staying out of the paint a lot more um, and taking a lot of mid-range jumpers, often, you know, against smaller guys. Um, the kind of shades of LaMarcus Aldridge in the game, in that game where he'll, like, grab the ball and just, like, turn and, like, um, face and shoot, um, regardless of who he's got, regardless of where he's on the court, um, which I found quite frustrating um, to watch because it's, like, he's seven foot, 240. I, I want you to go to the basket. Was there, you know, like being around the team, was there like a concerted um, effort to have him like in those situations or is that something where he's kind of got to like iron that out of his game? Yeah, I think that's, first of all, you're not the only one who was frustrated. I think a lot of fans shared your frustration and and I think it's just, it's, it's a situation that the word aggressive always came up with him, even mm-hmm. dating back to last year, that if, you, if there was a word that, DeAndre Ayton was asked about or used in questions more often than any other, it would be the word aggressive. And I think you're right in that, especially when he sort of portrays himself as, you know, he calls, he calls it bully season or like dominating, like domination. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, sometimes you don't see that on, on the offensive end. And I think, again, just establishing that consistency and then also just understanding that, yeah, you are bigger than, a lot of guys that you're going to go up against or even these other maybe all-star caliber big men like okay those guys are tough to deal with but also you you have the talent and the, and the development to be able to be like that too someday and so yeah again it, it's he's going to go up against some some good big men in, in this restart you know players like uh, Chris Sapsporzingis for Joel Embiid or, or, you know, you go on down the line. And so I'm really interested to see if he just kind of has that more concerted effort to go toward the basket, to use his low post moves, what he you know can do in those types of situations. Because on the flip side of that, he's also talked for months about adding the three pointer to his game. And it's sort of like, okay, yes, that'll be a great thing to add at some point, just to add that other level to your game. But um, most of all, it's like you got to do some work down, down low and that's where you're going to get your easy buckets. So, yeah, I, there was certain points where I remember I, I would count the number of times he would just catch the ball fade and, and or turn around and, and shoot a jumper. And uh, that might be something to keep track of, again, just based on is that habit? Is that just what he naturally locks into? Or is that something that needs to be sort of 
uh, pushed out of them, I guess you could say. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right, well, moving on to a different part of the roster with Kelly Oubre likely going to miss the um, most, or most, if not all, the bubble. There was a bit of reporting on either sides there saying that he's getting a second opinion and, and so on. But from what I'm hearing from you, he's definitely not playing. Is that, is that right? Uh, it, it's, it's up in the air right now. Um, we talked to him earlier this week and, and he said that the, he feels fine health wise and Monty Williams echoed that saying that the, the knee is totally healed as far as like the actual surgery and structurally all of that stuff, which is, first of all, that's the best news of, of the situation. That's what you would want to come out of that result. But, um, it, it sounds like he needs to hit some, they, they call them benchmarks as far as just different things. Um, what he's comfortable doing. And of course his game is so predicated on explosiveness and athleticism and just, you know, being comfortable in that space, I think will determine if or when he's able to play during this bubble. And so um, this week, Monty said that he is able to do some shooting drills, some conditioning stuff with his teammates, but that he's still spending most of practice on the side with trainers and medical staff and continuing to rehab. So um, until he's in a situation where he's going through full practices, he's doing contact stuff, you know, five on five or even one on one. I would not expect him to be close to to, to getting back. So uh, I, I tend to still think that it's way more likely that he does not play at all than he does, um, just given the weirdness of this bubble situation. And the last thing you want to do is risk injury and and his long term health or anything like that. So. Um, I, again, I know some people were getting excited when they saw that he was doing some work. It's like, okay, we're, we're pumping the brakes and he's, he's there, he's working out with the team. He's able to be with the training and medical staff, which was not the case during the hiatus, just because of all the restrictions on, on the facility being closed. But I think we're still a little bit away away from him being able to play. And, and I think they're going to proceed cautiously with him. Mm, yeah, of course. Well, if Kelly O'Grady is going to play them, we're going to see a lot of the next man up and whether that's Mikael Bridges or Cam Johnson or a lot more three guard lineups. Um, I know the, the Suns have a lot of guards and just to boost on top of that, they signed Cam Johnson for, for the bubble as well. So what's uh, what's the solution here? Is Mikael Bridges going to be, be taking that role or is Devin Booker going to slide down? I would think it would be Bridges to, to start as far as playing that three spot. And, and yeah, they've got some flexibility as far as, you no know, Bridges can play the three and the four. Cam Johnson, to a certain extent, can play the three and the four. Um, Dario Saric will still be the starting power forward, but can also slide to the five if needed. So I, I think you're going to see kind of a lot of mix and match with those those spots as far as, you know, the, the three and the four positions. So, uh, yeah, you know, Mikhail Bridges was playing really well when the, the season was suspended. And then Cam Johnson, who – basically kind of just went through his first NBA offseason, even though he's coming back technically for his <laughs> finishes rookie year. Um, he, he estimates that he put on about 10 to 12 pounds of muscle during this time. Mm. And we, we talked to him yesterday and saw him on Zoom, and he definitely um, has bulked up a little bit. So I don't know <laughs> 10 to 12 pounds, but he definitely worked on his strength. So I, I'm curious to see what that does for him as far as if that makes him you know, able to get to the basket better or is just stronger or can pull down more rebounds or just defensively like that can show itself in a lot of different ways. And mm. obviously he's a great shooter. So that's the biggest thing he brings to the, to the team at this point. But yeah, it is a great opportunity, I think, for these two younger players to sort of really get a lot of playing time and to sort of uh, just in a weird environment. So I think, yeah, obviously this team is better when Kelly Oubre is available, but 
the development of those two young guys at that three spot, I think, be really big moving forward. Hmm. And Cam, Cam kind of hit the rookie wall at some point this season and his play really started to drop off. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that he's packed on about 12 pounds of muscle. That could Do you think that we'll see him playing a bit more at the four? Because um, I imagine if he is at the four, obviously he's such a lethal shooter that um, you know that would create mismatches. But also, like he's you know still, if he's going up against fours, he's you know pretty fleet-footed compared to going up against like an athletic three who can stay with him on the perimeter. So, do you think that that's the intention with him packing on muscle, or is it just like part of you know every player's development that they need to kind of put a bit on when they um, get into the league? A little bit of both, I think. Um, I mean, again, you sort of go through the season and you see, okay, where was I, where did I struggle or what did I need, what do I need to get better at, those types of things. And um, I think Cam knows that in order to stay in the league, like obviously his shooting is going to keep him there. But um, how, like you mentioned his footwork, how how does he stay defensively? And, and yeah, can I, can I just deliver as far as that strength and that durability and just being able to fluctuate between different positions. So, um, you know, it's funny because last summer it was Bridges who put on a a bunch of muscle and that was kind of the big news. And so now it's the the next guy who was a rookie this season who's put on the muscle. So I do think it's part of the natural development, but also I think does speak to maybe where he could see that he needed to make some improvements and also not just for, getting through the grind of an 82 game season in most years, but also just being able to fluctuate between that three and four spot and, and yeah, create some mismatches at that four spot while also being able to kind of bully a little bit more than maybe he could this past year. Mm. And Dante and I were a little bit critical of the pick um, in the first place, obviously this last draft. And I think Kobe White to a, to a smaller extent was a little bit critical as well in his reaction to seeing Cam get drafted so high. But I think the, the Suns are sort of vindicated with that pick because he's actually looked better than most of the guys, well, not most, but some of the guys ahead of him um, and looks like he has a role in the league. What uh, what role do you think that is? Is he, uh, who's the who's the Miami Heat guy? Uh, Duncan Robinson. Duncan is, he Robinson. Like a, is he like a heavy Duncan Robinson and that sort of guy that just like shoots, shoots, shoots or is he, you know, is he a big JJ Redick or can he, can he grow into something more with his game? Yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting because he's an older rookie. Um, he's actually older than Devin Booker. He's 24 years old. Uh, just because in college he transferred and then had to sit out, and there's all these weird rules in U.S. college basketball. Um, but so he, he, but he came in and number one, he did have an immediately translatable skill that the Suns knew would would transfer right away. And then also just he has this kind of maturity to him. And I think that is because he's a little bit older and sort of has um, just a sort of a presence to him. And even when he's hit the rookie wall or, or had struggles, like you can kind of just see he's like a very steady person. And so I think that maturity, that success on his college team, like he's kind of a proven winner. Those are qualities that this front office looks for in, in when they're adding players, especially younger players. So um, I, I think he did play well overall this season and, and just sort of carved out a role that, you, you know, at this point, you know exactly what you're going to get with him. And now it's just a matter of the fact that he is a little bit older. What is his ceiling? And I, I don't I don't know how much higher it's going to go just based on his age. But, yeah, if he can be a guy that can play a couple different positions, um, continue to be a lethal shooter. I, I think those kind of comparisons that you made make a lot of sense. And so um, 
again, I'm interested to see where his progression goes. Um, and if, again, gaining all the strength is any indication, I think it shows that he's got the work ethic and the want to continue to progress and get better. And, and trust me, he heard the criticisms too. And he kind of had a chip on his shoulder coming into the league. And I think in a lot of ways, um, not necessarily like proved everybody wrong, but showed that he does, um, you know, can carve out his own role and can, can, you know, play an important rotation spot uh, on this team. I think the I think the heartening thing is that obviously he's drafted on the strength of his shooting and he came in and immediately is as good as advertised. Um, you know, just like taking a couple of threes a game, shooting forty percent, that's exactly what you drafted him for. And I think despite his age, um, I watched him in college, I follow UNC um in the college basketball. So I saw him, you know, kind of come up through after he transferred over from Pitt. And he did keep getting better. So yes, he is twenty-four and you know, like maybe you know people look at like numbers uh, we traded number six with minnesota for the pick that came um cam johnson and minnesota took Jarrett colbert who's 20 but you look at someone like that he's four years younger in theory he's got a lot more growing to do but really really struggled this year and even though cam's older he did kind of get better through his 20 age 22 age 23 seasons in college so Fingers crossed. He's obviously going to have a much smaller role, but I think that there is some hope that, you know, he could potentially like grow a little bit with putting the ball on the deck. And, you know, I think like you mentioned, if he can slide between the three and the four, then that's a really valuable piece to have, especially with a healthy Kelly Oubre and um, Bridges. That's a pretty nice young three wing rotation moving forward. And obviously Bridges and Johnson are locked up on the rookie deals and Oubre's, I think he's on a two year $30 million deal. So you know, the next little while is going to be really interesting in the next couple of seasons. Um, and I think the bubble will be a really nice microcosm of what they've got on the wing. But one one guy who we haven't mentioned much so far is obviously the best player, Devin Booker. Yes. Um, what, um, what do you think his mentality going into, going into this bubble is? Because obviously he's been quite vocal in the past about being done with not making the playoffs and wanting to prove that he's a winner. Do you get the sense that he's going into this this going to try the Suns to 8-0 and 7-1 and get them in? Or is he kind of taking a, a more like information, um, like information gathering outlook that the organization seems to be taking? Yeah, well, it's funny because before the team left for Orlando, um, Monty Williams was talking about Booker and he, he came out and said, like, I think Booker is going to be gunning for, you know, all NBA and trying to prove himself as one of those top you know, even above the all-star status, which he obviously reached this year. Uh, and so I asked Booker about that a couple of days ago and he sort of, he sort of not walked it back completely, but he said, no, my, you know, I, I do want to keep making my, a name for myself in the league, but the way that I do that is by helping this team win. And so I, he, he knows that he, I mean, the individual accolades and and he knows he has the respect of people that follow basketball closely or are in the league and and either play against him or game plan for him or all that stuff. And so I think getting that all-star nod this year, even though it was as an injury replacement, I think that was a lot of validation for him. But now it's like, okay, I'm in the situation where, okay, this isn't exactly the playoffs, but this is the closest to the playoffs that I've ever been in my professional career. And this is like the biggest stage as far as everyone's going to be paying attention to this restart. And again, they're going up against a lot of good competition. This is an opportunity to show what I can do against good competition in 
weird circumstances, like facing a little bit of adversity and, and how can I perform? And so he's a guy who every season of his pro career, he's added something to his game or he's improved his game and his efficiency numbers this year were obviously absolutely absurd as far as his shooting was concerned. And so I'm curious to see how that carries over if, if he's able to pick right back up where he left off as far as those shooting numbers or what he worked on during the off season. Like, cause he already added something to his game that we haven't even seen yet. And, but he had four months to work on it. So here it is. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he's able to do as well. But um, I think playing really well and helping his team win, that sounds so elementary, but that's, that's what I think he's out there to, to show that, okay, again, we were put in this situation where we were invited to the party, we were invited to the bubble, so let's make the most of it, I think, is his mentality heading into this. Also, worst case scenario, he's extremely fun to watch and we all have fun watching him. Exactly, yeah, and especially with some other kind of standout players on lesser teams, I guess you could say, like Bradley Beal's not going to be in the bubble, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge isn't going to be in the bubble, there's, there's a few players that normally are at that, you know, kind of next tier level that you're like, okay, they'll at least be fun to watch. And I think Devin Booker is definitely in that category. He was so much fun to watch this year. He, he's, um, his mid-range game has just developed into something that's just totally uh, not where, even two years ago, like after, you know, after his ascent to stardom, you know, it didn't really, uh, at least from my watching, I didn't really see him becoming this mid-range master like he is, but he was one of the best mid-range scorers in the league all season long. And you mentioned his efficiency numbers. They're just staggering. Uh, finishing at the rim and, and in the mid-range. Just this array of, um, these are like array of like little up and unders and little fakes that he's got in that mid-area. Um, yeah, he was super fun to watch this year. And if that's all we get from, from him for eight games, then, you know, stay love me. That's a pretty good, that's still a pretty good takeaway. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think just his efficiency too, I think Ricky Rubio gets a lot of credit or should get a lot of credit for that because number one, Devin didn't have to run the offense as he had to do for a lot of last season when this team had absolutely no point guards that were capable of, of doing that. And it's just Ricky knows where to get guys the ball and how to get them in the, in the right spots to be so efficient. So no, you sort of saw what can happen when you even just elevate the talent around Booker even you know significantly but it's not like they added an all-star point guard or something like that it's just a good it's just confidence solid. yeah just a confident good point guard it's like oh what a concept he looks really yeah. good and that really helps his game too so I, I think that just shows the just how much yes every individual player has their own skill set and has things that they can do with the ball in their hands or whatever but it is a team game and so you have to surround guys with talent in order to maximize their own their own skills so I think that was a great example of that this year with the Suns and, and for Booker mm. all right well moving on for there let's move on to the future of this Phoenix Suns team and this offseason in particular and Dante is going to hate me for bringing this up but one idea that I floated with Dante before um, that I actually stole from Danny LaRue of Real GM Radio where he came up with the idea of obviously looking to upgrade this team and where can they upgrade? A lot of their positions are locked in with guys that are developmental. So you've got Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden who you hope to grow with and you know, then you're hardly going to change your two guard in your center. And Danny said, look, it's, it's very hard and probably won't happen, but if there's a way this offseason where the Phoenix Suns can get you know signals from Fred Van Vliet that he's interested in coming, 
What are your thoughts on a potential wave and stretch of Rubio, which would essentially flatten his salary for the next three seasons at just over 11 million per season um, and signing Fred Van Vliet in his place? So, I'll let you just uh, say your two cents before we hear from Gina because I know you're not very excited about it. I hate it. That is the that is <laughs> no with with all with all due respect, with all due respect to Danny, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. It's terrible. The theory so we mean that we're if we're paying if we're paying Rick Rubio eleven million a year to not play, and then Van Vliet's gonna probably come in at between sixteen and twenty million a year. That means that we're paying twenty five <laughs> to thirty million a year for one point guard. The That's theory what. being you're getting a guy who's a competent shooter who looks, I would assume, great next to Devin Booker as two guys that can pretty much play identical roles at the one and two guard. Um, and also there's a lot of NBA 2K potential here and a lot of fun to <laughs> 2K21. But Gina, what are your thoughts on this potential move? Yeah, the wave and stretch thing I have a hard time with. Um, <laughs> but you're... Danny is actually not the only person to bring up Fred Van Bleet to the Suns. Uh, John Hollinger, we did a piece while I was still working at the athletics, sort of diving into a lot of offseason decision making. And he brought up potentially maybe trying to trade Rubio for something and signing Fred Van Bleet. And I was kind of like, ah, that's interesting. Um, again, you're, you're obviously banking on, like you said, Van Bleet's skill set as, as a shooter. Um, his his chemistry with Booker or his potential chemistry with Booker and then also the fact that he is quite a bit younger and so you would theoretically think he would continue to grow and maybe Rubio is has hit a ceiling or at least you sort of know what you're going to get and at this point I don't know if his shooting's ever going to get better <laughs> that's that's we, we've seen it for enough years and that's not a knock on him because he does so many other wonderful things with his game whether it's his passing um, his defense all that stuff and his leadership but yeah, the, the wave and stretch thing, that's a lot of money to commit to two players. One of them is actually not on your roster. But, I mean, if you really want to take a swing, I mean, most of us have thought, okay, if they're going to take a big swing, it's going to be for an upgrade at power forward. But if you thought you could get Van Vliet, um, that, would be, that would be really interesting. But also, he was available a couple of years ago, and the Suns didn't go through it. So that's also <laughs> – you look back at that and you're like, okay, why did not you not do that? But again, mm. the, you can't change the past. So, um, but no, that would be interesting. Yeah, Van Vliet and Booker together, that would be quite the interesting young backcourt for sure. But it'd be a lot of money if that's the way they went about trying to do yeah. that. And obviously, whenever Fred Van Vliet has a has a newborn child, he obviously just <laughs> becomes an amazing shooter. Um, uh, <laughs> Obviously, a bit, still a bit hurt from that Raptors uh, beating Golden State and Fred Van Vliet just looking incredible. Don't, don't talk about Sean. Don't open those wounds. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, let's move on. You, you mentioned the power forward position there. Um, I quite like Dario Saric, but he might be... Well, we actually don't know what the market's going to look like because obviously there's a couple of factors influencing uh, what it might actually look like. But how can the Phoenix Suns either upgrade at the power forward position or are you happy with Saric moving forwards? Yeah, well, first of all, Dario is another guy that I'm really interested to see how he plays in the bubble because even before the league shut down, he was playing really well. And something that he and Monty Williams had mentioned was that he had really, you know, focused on his body and had kind of changed his diet. And it sounds like he even took that to another level during this break and has come back and looked really good. And so I'm interested to see what he looks like. And 
And yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of factors that could change what the, the free agent market looks like, but he's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. So obviously the Suns could, you know, match any offer that another team makes, but all it takes is one team to offer him a bunch of money for the Suns to be like, oh, that's too much. We, we can't do that. And, and even if they, you know, maybe were thinking about bringing him back, um, it kind of feels like that's the position where, you know, do you go after a Danilo Gallinari or a Davis Bertans or somebody like that in free agency who, again, is going to cost a lot of money, but maybe that's, that's the big swing you take. Or do you look at the trade market, whether it's Aaron Gordon or Larry Markinen or even Kevin Love, who's obviously very expensive and not on the right timeline at all, but they're, those are kind of what's out there. And so I don't know. I, it's just, again, we, the, the fact that we don't know what the salary cap is going to be, I think is, is a big factor. But uh, again, Dario is like, he's, he, did he have the most fantastic season this year ever? No, but he's a good complimentary player who can do a little bit of everything. And I think we saw a lot of shades of that um, right before the, the break happened. And so um, I, I'm really interested to see what he looks like in these eight games and how maybe that could, I'm not going to say that's going to make or break whether he comes back to this team or not, but I think you could potentially see, okay, he, he would be a fit here or he's, he's a good fit right now when we're entering an off season where maybe there's not as much money available or whatnot. So yeah, he's, he's an interesting player and, um, I, I think he definitely would fit or has fit decently well, but also, when you, when you talk about spots on the roster that are already locked up, that power forward spot is like, okay, if you're going to make a move, it probably makes sense to do it here. So I don't know. That kind of is the biggest decision this team has to make. I think, he, I think he's going to – I think overall, like what you say is right. Like they, they are kind of going to be looking at where can we improve. And I think he has been underwhelming. Um, like, like from what I've seen um, this year, it wasn't – he hasn't reached the highs that he reached in Philly where he was just that, like that rebound, that rebounding monster, energy big man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he's kind of looked a bit out of place. But at the same time, he, what you say is right. Like he has actually still put together a pretty decent season. I just feel like he's going to be priced out and there's going to be a really tasty offer um, that the Suns are going to have to choose whether they match or not. And I feel like I, I wouldn't be more com- like comfortable giving him more than like – maybe like $10 million a year, like a four-year 40. But I think he's the kind of guy who someone's going to come in with a like a 14 or a 15. Uh, and that might be too rich, especially because uh, with Booker and then Ube is on 15 a year, Rick Rubio is on 17 a year. There's, you know, there's players in here that have, you know, some pretty decent contracts that run for a while. I think he might just end up being, you know, casualty um, of that situation. But if, if that is the case, who... Who are some guys that you think they might be um, going after this season? You mentioned Darvis Bertans. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's a realistic possibility? Well, from everything that I've heard, it's like Washington, it's a priority that they want to keep him. And so, but again, who knows? All it takes is one team to like mm. blow him away with an offer and, and then he's, he's gone. So yeah, him and Gallinari are the, the two like biggest names as far as free agents, which also means they're going to be 
the highest priced. And so how much are you willing to spend on, on somebody like that? And then if you kind of go down the line, it's, it's more, it's more veterans where it's a, a Serge Ibaka, a Paul Millsap, um, Jeremy Grant, who's obviously not quite as, as old as, as Millsap, but then you're kind of getting into that next, that, that next tier where it's like, okay, are these guys that much better than Dario Saric? Like at this point in their career, um, obviously different skill sets for some of those players, but yeah, that's kind of what the market is as far as those guys who are available. And then if you don't go free agent, then it's what do you try to maybe pull off in a trade or what do you explore in a trade? And that would be probably for some younger guys. But then who do you package a deal around? Is that Kelly Oubre? Is that like, what do you, what do, you do in that situation? So mm-hmm. no, it's tricky. It's tricky. But um, that's kind of what the market looks like as far as players that are available heading into this off season. And, and yeah, it's just a matter of, of what you're willing to pay for somebody, what other teams are willing to pay for somebody. It's the whole dance that free agency always is. Mm-hmm. Well, just another, another question for this off season is the draft. And this is probably the first time in half a decade that I've paid close attention to the draft being a golden state fan. So it just sucks that the one draft I'm really paying close attention to is the one draft that no one knows anything about and no one knows what to do. What are your thoughts? I know Phoenix aren't going to have as high a pick as they have in, in recent years, but what are your thoughts on on this draft? And just give us a name. Who should go number one? <laughs> who should go number one? Well, it probably depends on who wins the lottery. Um, I mean, it probably is either going to be Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball. But as far as the Suns are concerned, yeah, if they – if they stay in that 10 range, I think that could be a spot maybe for like a Tyrese Halliburton, the guard mm. from Iowa State, who could maybe finally be the you know backup point guard of the future in comparison to all the other young guards that didn't pan out this year. Uh, you know, if they if they're able to move up a little bit, maybe somebody like an Obi Toppin is is available, and I think he'd be a really interesting. You know, we're talking about power forwards, like maybe he's mm. the front court pairing with Aiton. Um, mm you know, can develop into that type of guy. Uh, Yeah. And there's just, there's a lot of unknowns with this draft or a lot of guys that um, just, you don't know a huge amount about, and I'm sure we'll keep learning, especially now that the draft is so much later this year, but yeah, this is, it's regarded as an okay draft, certainly not as good as, as the last couple of seasons, but uh, it it really kind of depends on where the Suns land as far as who will be available. But if they're kind of in that 10 slot, um, I, you know, I think someone like Halliburton would be, would be really interesting. Maybe a Killian Hayes, if you stay with the guard uh, position, but um, I think Obi Toppin, if they could get into the top five and snag him would be a really, a really good get, but um, it's who knows with the way the lottery with the lottery falls. Although this, this would be the year that the Suns like get the number one pick, but it's not <laughs> a great draft, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's so where I don't know, but it's, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where kind of everything falls once we get past the, the first stage of the bubble. Mm, I do like I know that maybe top in sorry, sorry to buddy and Dante, but um, my, my thoughts from Golden State's pick is they should trade down and just take the safe pick rather than trying to draft someone number one when we don't know anything at the moment. Um, obviously I actually don't know what the worries are thinking so they, they clearly know more than me but I really like the name Killian Hayes and Obi Toppin later in the draft and I'm envious that you're going to have the luxury to pick one of these late lottery guys I think that um, Tyrese Halliburton's really highly rated by um, Kevin O'Connor from the ringer I think he had him fourth on his on his big board so if you know obviously if if he was a guy that we're looking at in that um, in 
that t- 10 range, then that would be great because he does come, you know, reasonably highly regarded. But then it's like, if we go, if we go young guard again, all of a sudden you've got Rubio and Booker locking down the, the first two and then behind them, it's Ty Jerome, it's Elia Kobo, it's Javon Carter and then like another young guard. It's all of a sudden there's a backlog. Yeah, and, and nobody who's really proven themselves. I mean, that was that was a really big problem for this team this year. I mean, if you look at the on-off numbers for Ricky Rubio, like, it's staggering. And that's why at, you know, certain points in the season he was playing way more minutes than Monty Williams wanted him to play. And there were times where you could just – you could see that Monty was trying to experiment with different guys or give different people a chance and – and just uh, then people get the quick hook and it's just, I don't know. I think Ty Jerome, I think has the, obviously the team is the most invested in him because he's mm. a first round pick and all that stuff. And I, I thought he was really good in the preseason um, just for what he was as far as a rookie point guard, but then he sprained his ankle right before the season started. And I think that kind of just derailed everything for him as far as being able to kind of carve out a consistent role. But I, I'm still not ready to give up on him yet. Uh, and then Javon Carter, like he definitely has the most defined skill set as far as his on-ball defense and improved as a three-point shooter this year. But man, the offense would be bogged down whenever he was trying to to run it. And it's just uh, you just how many chances do you give him to do that? And and when you're then having to move him off the ball and just say, hey, stand outside the three-point line, <laughs> that's not not the best role. So. I don't know. It's it, like you said, it's, it's, it's tough. Cause at some point you need to have some consistency there. And so it, the, the Suns also could potentially with what they do at their front court, you know, maybe you use your mid-level exception on signing a, a, a guard, like a, you know, maybe a DJ Augustine or a Reggie Jackson or a Michael Carter Williams, somebody like that, where again, none of those names are going to fly off the page and you go, Oh, that's the answer. But those guys are more capable than what we've seen from those younger players. So at least that would potentially be a a bridge or somebody who could kind of take that load until one of those younger guys was ready, whoever that is. But yeah, it's, it was tough. I know trying to circle through all those guys uh, at different points throughout the year. (laughs) I thought early in the season that Carter was the answer. Uh, by early I mean like the first 10 games I thought he played really well and then it seemed like he lost Monty Williams lost faith in him and Tyler Johnson was still on the roster at this point and Tyler Johnson just all of a sudden became the backup point guard and I was screaming like like as a Sun fan it's like missed like the story of the last 10 years is like missed opportunities it's like almost and we had a player who um, has developed into a really good backup point guard in D'Anthony Melton on the roster and obviously he was involved in the swap with Memphis that brought Carter over. Carter hasn't quite been what you want. And we watched Melton, you know, um, go into a really, really strong part of one of the best um, bench units in the league in Memphis. And I know that he's not like a pure point guard who you're just going to say like, you know, bring the ball up and run a pick and roll. And that's like, that's your role. But Melton's someone who, you know, talk about the on off numbers um, before, like Melton's numbers, I, I don't have them in front of me, but they're, they're, they're just massive. And a big reason why Memphis's bench has been so good. And we had him on the team, but instead, you know, like a trade, it was a salary dump. And, and now we've got, you know, this plethora of young guards, but again, you know, like you said, it's like, you know, you're cycling through hoping that one of them is going to give you something. Um, yeah, missed opportunity and almost. <laughs> yeah, that, that trade with Memphis, because it was 
obviously Josh Jackson was the, the major portion of that, but it was Josh mm. Jackson, Melton, and then two second round picks yeah. for Carter and then Kyle Korver's salary. That who's, was obviously. Yeah, waved, yeah. <laughs> Never forget the Kyle Korver era in Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, it's not, I mean, sometimes you need to just do what you need to do to make the move you want to make, but it's, not not a great deal when you sort of look at it from the outside mm. especially if is, Carter, you know he's going to be a free agent so you might lose carter and then you literally got nothing back in nothing for one, is, one is james off. jones good because <laughs> um, i don't i can't tell i i can't tell it, i think it's still to be determined i think he's still i mean he's basically been in this job for a year and a half and i think a lot of the moves that he has made have been interesting and and have improved the team but also he hasn't made the cleanest moves I guess that's mm-hmm. what I would say because you know you on draft night you make the trade for Cam Johnson you also salary dump TJ Warren you make the trade to get Baines and the pick that became Ty Jerome uh and, and like just a lot happening <laughs> and, and it's like okay this this wasn't the cleanest but you probably accomplished what you hoped you would uh you know the the deal with Memphis you had to give up a lot but you wanted to get rid of Josh Jackson and so if that's what you had to do to get rid of Josh Jackson I guess that's what you did to get rid of Josh Jackson so um I yeah uh I I don't know it's it's he he clearly has a philosophy and who he wants to have on this team and how he wants to add players and what he values as far as winning experience immediately translatable skill set guys who are not prospects that are capable NBA players. And I think for that portion, a lot of that is played out. Um, but like I said, not, not necessarily like the shrewdest moves. You're like, wow, how did he pull that off? Like I think <laughs> has some, some, some stuff to learn there, which I think is normal as a young GM who, who doesn't have a ton of experience of being the primary decision maker up to this point. Mm. I think one silver lining for you guys is that one of the earliest moves he did was uh, send Tyson Chandler out and then obviously the Lakers picked him right up. So there's people were saying there was a bit of an IOU, the LeBron James, the James Jones connection there, both King James uh, working together. So at, le- at least you guys have a, um, an IOU from the Lakers, which can be redeemed at any, at any point, I assume. Yeah, when will they cash that in? Who will that be? <laughs> It'll be like 10 years down the line. I'm like, yeah, that was for the Tyson Chandler in 2018. <laughs> One more question here, just on the, on the Phoenix Suns. Gina, when is the next time the Phoenix Suns win a title? The next time? Yeah. The, I mean, first the time. First time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, not anytime soon, just because, and I don't say that to bash the franchise. I just say that they're still in their infancy stage of, of building this team. And I mean, who knows how long the, the two LA teams are going to be at the top of the league. Um, the West is just loaded too with, um, you know, Denver and Utah and, and Houston, if this experiment keeps going and Golden oh, State, I think is going to be right back in it when everybody's healthy again. And so really even, just, even just to crack that eighth spot of the playoffs, it's, it's really tough. But I think the first goal for the Suns is to push ahead of some of the other younger teams that are sort of in the same stage. So it, that's a, a, a Memphis and New Orleans, mm. a Sacramento, like those types of teams that all have young cores. It's like trying to kind of muscle your way through those and then you try to make the playoffs and then you try to contend. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be 
a, a while and if, to, to get back to that point. And yeah, the Suns got close a couple times in a few different eras, but um, have never tasted that championship mm. before. So yeah, it's the, it's, I think there was noticeable progress this year, which I think is the most important thing and the thing that fans should hold on to. But yeah, they've still got a long way to go to becoming a, a contender, and especially in the Western Conference. Yeah, and thank you for not mentioning the Minnesota Timberwolves when you're talking about that young <laughs> echelon of, of young teams. That's great for <laughs> next season. Gina, <laughs> <laughs> yes. who's your favorite player to watch in the league at the moment? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, is it a total cop out if I say Giannis? Just because I no, think that's favorite allowed, player. Allowed. Yeah. So, I mean, him, um, I mean, I've really loved watching the two LA teams this year, just kind of watching them sort of try to figure things out with those superstars and whatnot. But yeah, if I had to pick any player in the league, it, it would be honest, just he's such a freak of nature, which is why he has the nickname he does. So yeah, that's probably that's that he's probably there. Although I did really enjoy watching Jason Tatum when he sort of made his ascension mm. right before the league shut down. He's definitely somebody and I also, before I covered the Suns, I um, covered the Nuggets. And so watching Nikola Jokic do Nikola mm. Jokic things every single game was also a massive treat that I definitely realized while I was watching it happen. But um, he's, he's just so much fun, too, with the way he passes. And he's a total weirdo. And I mean that in the best way. Like, I love talking with him. He's just such a unique human. So, yeah, those are, those are some that come to mind right off the bat. I also went to school with James Harden. We're both, uh, we were at Arizona State at the same time. So even though his, his game is not, uh, you know, the most pleasing to some fans, I really appreciate his game and feel like I watched him before he even had a beard. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> he's more he, was, he was obviously a fantastic player in college. And, but I never would have imagined he would morph into an MVP and, and mm. just guy that, turned into so yeah those those would be the ones that would come to mind first i think sean's answer might be Jokic as well i don't want to speak for you sean but oh, i know yeah, that you're right <laughs> yeah yes yeah he's so much fun he's a delight he is a delight to watch for sure the, the scratched red arms at the end of a game or you know if it goes to overtime they're even bright red which is awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's great he is he's a good he's a lot of fun, like you said. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, um, just just final question here, Gina. If you could uh, have any, you know, those you know, you can buy those jerseys that are a couple of hundred dollars, and they're the fancy fancy jerseys that are the you know, game worn, game soon to be worn jerseys. If you could have any one of those jerseys, free, past, present, or future player, who would it be? I think I got to go back to an answer that I had before, where it's got to be Chuck. It's got to be Charles Barkley. That would just be a really cool collector's item to have from my childhood. So yeah, it it could be a just the the old school, probably the white Suns with the sunburst, like from 1993. I think that would be, especially if you could also get like the jacket with it too, like mm, the purple like jacket. Pure, yeah, pure early 90s. Like, just give me all of that. So yeah, that, that's my answer. <laughs> Great answer. Cool. Well, um, yeah, Gina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, uh, it's been great speaking with you and just, uh, where can people find your stuff? Where can people find your Twitter or newsletter or podcasts? Yeah. So my Twitter is just my first name and my last name. So it's at G I N A M I Z E L L. And then yeah, the Valley tales newsletter it's valleytales.substack S U V S T A C K.com. 
and you that's where the website is so you can read everything there but also if you sign up for the newsletter then anytime that I publish a story it'll go straight to your email inbox so you won't have to worry about finding it on Twitter or checking the website every day that's probably the easiest way to get stuff dumped right on you as far as Suns coverage so yeah those are all the places to find me lovely and I signed up for the newsletter and I can personally recommend it it's a good read thank you so much I appreciate that yeah and I can also recommend your reading as well I read a lot of your coverage when you were with the athletic and yeah it's it's been great speaking with you because I've been reading your stuff for so long so it's awesome Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dana. We really appreciate it too.